I wanted to share a tool that I started using recently. And if you're doing any prospecting or lead sourcing from LinkedIn, it's definitely worth checking out. The tool is called Surf and it's spelled S-U-R-F-E. It's a Chrome extension that allows you to add contacts to your CRM directly from LinkedIn. I use it to add contacts quickly, follow my deals, keep track of my notes. And it's actually saved me a bunch of time. The data is always 100% accurate because I don't have to copy and paste each detail from each contact over to my CRM. Instead, Surf does it all for me automatically with just one click. Now, the folks over at Surf have been kind enough to put together a promo offer for fans of SSP. You can go to the link in the show notes and use the promo code JWSURF with an E5 for a 5% discount on your first year. Check out the link in the show notes and go check them out. I've got a secret weapon for you that's going to skyrocket your sales without the unnecessary headaches that come along with using one of the big player CRM systems. That secret weapon is Close CRM. Now let's face it, we've all been there. We've used a clunky, confusing system that kind of makes you want to throw your laptop out the window. Well, fear not, Close is here to save your time, money, and sanity. Close has all of the powerful sales tools you need, minus the drama, to manage your leads, track your deals, and crush your targets effortlessly. It has calling, emailing, SMS, multi-channel sequences, and it even has meeting tracking built right in. It's easy to set up and implement. You can stop screwing around with CRMs that aren't built for you and start selling and managing customers today. You can start a free trial using the link in the show notes, special for SSP fans. My guest today is Lee Kinley. Lee is an account executive at Sixth Sense, which is an account engagement platform for sellers. Lee is probably one of the best prospectors that I've ever worked with, uh, among the most creative sales reps that I've ever worked alongside. Uh, and she's also just a lot of fun to be around. She does a really great job of managing her account relationships, but also infusing a little bit of creativity into her deal cycles. So listen closely today. She has a really fantastic origin story also of how she broke into the software business. And I was just, uh, you know, just really enjoyed the conversation and I'm thrilled to bring you this, uh, this interview today. So without further ado, here's Lee. Okay, Jesse. Hey. <laughs> hey. Um, welcome. It's good to have you finally on the show. I know it's been uh, I've been chasing you down for months to to come on the show because I just think you have so much to share with the world about sales. Oh, brother. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Starting off on the yes. All right. Um, I can't wait. Yeah. So I think I would love for you to share your story about how you ended up working in software sales. What was that journey like and how did you land where you're at? Oh man. So I think you, you know this story, but we'll share for the masses, but similar to Mandy, who you just interviewed, I started my career at enterprise rent a car and was sold on the, you know, the, big dream of owning my own branch and owning my own region. And it, I will say it was a great experience at entry level, Yeah. but uh, about three and a half years into working there and washing cars on a Saturday morning at 10 AM while my friends were out at brunch, I couldn't stand it anymore. You're we right in the middle of the, you know, housing crisis recession of 2008 and um, based in Austin. And I, I had a customer that I used to pick up all the time, you know, enterprise, we pick you up. Uh, and uh, remember we were driving, was driving him back to his office one day. He said, are you really going to work at enterprise for the rest of your career? 
you know, it's a great place to get started. And I was like, well, you know, if I keep playing my cards right, then I'll like move up. And he said, if you're going to stay in Austin, you really need to move into real estate or software sales. That's awesome. And I was like, okay, well, I don't know anything about software. And I learned that real estate, you don't make a base. So that scared the crap out of me. Yep. Um, and funny enough, I ended up ultimately, I won't tell you the long sob, sob story, but I ultimately ended up getting my first gig at a company called Hot Schedules. It was a result of a plane ride I took. I was hungover going to a bachelorette party in Vegas. And um, one conversation led to another from someone I met on that plane that ultimately helped me get my job at Hot Schedules. So, wow. Um, so that wait, was how so I got, a, got into software sales. A random stranger just started chatting you up on a plane about working at Hot Schedules. How like what was <clears throat> how did that conversation start? <laughs> well, no, it was much more deliberate on my part than that. Uh, I uh, I overheard the people next to me. They were going to a conference. It was a it was a CEO and his probably his you know VP of sales they were going to a conference in Vegas. And I remember I was so miserable and hungover, but I, I said to them, um, I finally was like worked up the courage to just start talking to them and asking them about where they were going. And then they mentioned that they were in IT and I didn't know the difference between IT and software at the time. And I got connected to him and I asked him straight up if he was hiring and if he would hire me and he said he wasn't hiring, but he would connect me with his head of business development. Awesome. He then connected me with a recruiter who's a very well-known recruiter here in Austin. And she was not aware of any places they were hiring, but she kind of took me under her wing and gave me a lot of great advice about which companies were best. And some of the problem I was facing was that I wasn't getting interviews because of my experience. And she really helped me to jump that and get, get people to, to consider me. That was so, I feel like we need to redo that, Jesse. No, no, not at all. That was really good. I was actually going to ask a follow-up. You shouldn't have have talked about being hungover, should I? No, this is, this podcast about being yourself. It's about the realities of working in the business. Um, I think it's awesome, (laughs) but I was going to ask, so this is a question that I've seen posed a lot. Uh, this is kind of a tangent, but I want to get back to your full story, like from where you are now or from where you are now, or sorry, from where you left off to where you are now. But before we do that, that's a, you touched on something that's really interesting. And I hear a lot of young sales reps ask this, and I get asked this a lot from younger sales reps, which is like, how do you. How do you break into an industry like this when you don't have the previous experience? Uh, what would you say like the number one or two or number three? Like what are the, what are three things you can do if, if there is three that can help you? If, like, like let's say there's someone out there right now listening that's working at Enterprise Rent-A-Car or maybe they're working at Macy's as a like shoe sales rep or they're in a call center right now or something like that. Like they're, they're trying to figure out how to make their their college degree, if they have one and their past experience as a cashier or a enterprise rent-a-car valet, like how do you, how would someone like that break into this industry? Uh, and maybe they don't have any connections or, or, or any family mm-hmm. in the industry or anything like that. They're just 
kind of cold trying to get in. Uh, I know for me, it was like just pretty much complete luck and a lot of like sort of dogged persistence. And I just, I just kept on And applying. charm, Jesse, don't forget the charm. charm. Well, I did something on that first call that got me my first job and got me out to Austin, which was, I don't, I don't know what I did. I know I rehearsed a lot for that interview and like really thought about how I wanted to be perceived, but I'm curious for your standpoint, like what, what can someone do to break into the industry who's trying to, and maybe they're working in retail right now or some other industry and they want to, they want to bust down into, bust down the door into the SaaS world. Well, the benefit of being in sales is that you are rewarded for your persistence. It's much harder to break into like fashion design or something um, if you're looking to make a career move. I can't really speak to how someone would make the switch today, but I would imagine it's very similar. Um, in my case at Hot Schedules, Instead of going through the, so there's a few different things. One was creativity, two, dogged persistence, three, mm -hmm. not taking no for an answer. These are all things that you need to have as a salesperson. And so the right sales or hiring manager is going to recognize those traits and be willing to take a shot or take a chance on you. So number one, I didn't go through the traditional channels to submit an application and write a cover letter and go through all that fun and dance. I wrote a letter to the head of the company that got circulated wow. that said that was just talking about my experience my willingness to learn and work hard um my of course definitely flattered them and talked about how it seemed like a great place to work and so on and then i remember after my in the middle of that first interview i was sitting across from the vp of sales and he said to me after about an hour, he said, you know, I just don't think this is going to work out. Just, oh, man. You need some more experience. And I said, no, 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 no. We're going to keep talking. So he continued to interview me. And then after that, I got a rejection letter. And I responded to that rejection letter. And I told him he was making a huge mistake. Wow. And that carried me to where he said, okay, fine. I'll give you a shot. And I didn't realize that they didn't really take me that seriously until later on um, once I'd been there for a few months, but they were like, okay, this girl just isn't going to quit. So that was it. Persistence. So I guess that my advice would be your, the benefit to getting into sales is that you can be persistent and pushy and assert it, assert yourself and people recognize that and give you a chance. Yeah, I think it's 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 so similar to actually selling too because you have to you have to be persistent. You have to keep following up. I think right. a lot of times yeah. if you lose out on a job or, or an employer goes quiet, it's it's sometimes just a matter of you need to follow up and get your name back up at the top of their inbox and get on their radar in some other way. It's just like doing actual sales where you're dealing with prospects who are busy and you got to figure out how to stay relevant, stay top of mind. And it's, it's the same. So it's kind of, it's, it's a great analogy or it's a great similarity between just trying to get that job. And a lot of it is about just sort of building pipeline, you know, and using your network and, and building as many opportunities as you can. And one of those opportunities will eventually work out. Uh, but I love that you wrote a letter to, you said to the president of the company or the CEO, 
Yeah, I think it was a distribution list that went to all the executive and VP level leadership team. And that, that was, it was an email LES. And I think I got that from this recruiter friend I made. So she was like, I'm not really able to get you an interview, but I can give you this little tip. So that's another interesting topic that I, I've met a lot of people, especially recently, uh, some of them are in my own family, so I won't, I won't say any specific names, uh, oh, but it's still it, Jesse. No, I mean, it, no, it's family, <laughs> but it, it's, it's just interesting. One, something that's interesting to me that seems really, it's always seemed really obvious, but I realize now that not everybody thinks to do this or thinks about this, believe it or not, not everybody thinks to get feedback from, or to like ask for feedback from a recruiter. Uh, or, you know, spend time with a recruiter prepping for your interview. I've always done that. It's just been like, duh, I've got someone here who knows all about the open position. This person's been hired to, to find somebody to fill a role. Obviously, they have all the inside knowledge on what is being, you know, sought after for the, for, you know, in terms of characteristics for the candidate. And they get paid if they make the placement. So why would I not, you know, spend 30 minutes, 60 minutes, whatever it is on the phone with a recruiter, just getting feedback, you know, going through coaching, taking notes on what they are sort of just spouting out about what the, the hiring manager is looking for. But I've met a lot of people who don't think to do that. When I tell them I do that, they're like, wait, what? A recruiter is just there to do the job. Like they're not a, an advisor. And I'm like, wrong. In this business, recruiters are advisors and they're your coach as much as they are the coach to the hiring manager mm -hmm. who's trying to make the hire. So you should use every ounce of that to your advantage because there's just, you know, there's money at stake. Like this, there's interest in this person. Like there's, there's a mutual interest in getting everybody on the same page and connected and ultimately sealing the deal. So when you are working with a, a recruiter and a lot of times early on in a, in a SaaS career, that's not super common, but after your first couple roles, uh, you will start to have recruiters reach out and sooner or later, you're going to find one that you really get along well with. And a lot of the recruiters that I've you know, worked with over the years, I still keep in really close touch with because I still look at them as almost like a, an executive coach or whatever you want to call it. Like I, they're, they're an advisor to me and they're, they're friends. I've tried to help their businesses because I know that they've usually given me the right pointers to help say the right things and, you know, posture myself in a way that, you know, made me a, a, a relevant candidate. Yeah. It's amazing. I've had friends recently who got laid off or they've been in a job for a long time and they haven't interviewed and they, they don't realize the, the, they think of the recruiter almost as like the first interview and yeah. it's like no this is they're they want you to get hired <laughs> yeah um, use that you, yeah totally use that that's an interesting I, I had no idea I just thought that was really obvious and and you know I'm not anything special I don't know how I thought to do that but I guess I just saw the I saw the the fact that, you know, most recruiters they're they're compensated on making the placement. So I was like, well, yeah, this person needs to help me get the job. And I guess that's not apparent to a lot of people out there. So if you're not doing that, definitely, you know, work with the recruiter who, who you're, you know, working with to, to get the role and, and get as much guidance and coaching as you can ask for it though. Yeah. All right. So now tell us the rest of the story. You're at hot schedules. Then what, how did you, you know, now you're a, a fancy enterprise account executive and I, I know there's, you know, years of work and lots of like, you know, stress and, <laughs> and grit and everything that went into it. I mean, we're not just talking about an overnight success, but maybe give us some of the like highlights between, you know, being at hot schedules and where you are now selling to large companies. 
Oh, I can definitely tell you that I like being where I'm at now more than yes. when I was early in my career Same. selling to like individual restaurant chains. But I think the one thing that I learned early on that was still, that is still so important today is just um, the importance of hard work and prospecting um, to hit your goals. Um, I remember early on, I was the only outbound rep when I first started and just having that work ethic and knowing what it's like to, to not get inbound leads to be my first experience with sales, I would never trade that because I I don't take leads for granted um, the way that I think some sales reps can be conditioned to do um, because I was literally just pounding the phones for hours and hours. That's been my experience too. I, because so much of my career up to this point was just outbounding, no inbounds, no warm leads, no, uh, you know, no, no existing accounts, expansions, not, not until now. I'm finally in a role where I get a, I get a good amount of inbound leads coming in and I also get to work to expand existing customers. But for years and really for the front half of my whole career, it wasn't the case. It was just you, anything that you sell, you found yourself from just picking up the phone getting really good at writing clear, concise, short prospecting emails. And that's it. That's, that's, that's your living is, is made off of outbounding. So I think, I think we're the same way uh, in that we don't let any, I don't let any inbounds go to waste. I try not to, I really try not to let any inbound go to waste. And I, I really appreciate, like I, I look around and I, I appreciate the fact that there is inbounds. Whereas I've worked with some reps that don't really think anything of it because that's just, maybe they started at a bigger company that had, uh, or, or they've spent most of their career at larger organizations that have had just tons of inbounds and plenty of pipeline to work from. For me, it's always a scarce resource. But I also think, and I'm sure this is the case with you, that it's a competitive edge that that we have, which is we know how to go out and knock on doors and get it done, even when times are tough. And there's, you know, even when inbounds inevitably slow down sometimes, there's still that that, you know, ability to go out and hunt someone down, which I think is not a rare skill these days, but certainly it's, it's getting more rare, especially as more companies fill their reps with, with inbound leads every single day. But I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I mean, I don't know if I have an opinion on that. Yeah. I think, I think it, there's still a balance. I think that the way that we do outbound is very different and quick plug for six cents i mean the technology i have available now in my role telling me exactly which accounts and contacts to go after based on where the projects are is yeah wildly different than just making blind cold calls all day long so i don't necessarily think that there's ever going to be a shift in the like percentage of time that we spend towards outbound or inbound is all based on the company and their business model but mm-hmm. just the more we have more intelligent tools at our fingertips now to do outbound and I'm all for that I think it's really cool to see how much the industry's progressed just since since we started in it <laughs> when you know the te- the sales tech stack when I started out was Salesforce and I don't know Excel maybe and a phone 
and maybe like tout app or something like that. One of the old school ones, but it's kind of cool to see tools like Sixth Sense coming into the market that make the job a lot more uh, data-driven and a lot more like scientific and specific versus just this like gut feel Rolodex carrying road warrior type sales persona that, that I was exposed to early on. Uh, and you know, that, that way of doing business where it's like, all right, let me go look at who I know and in, in the industry, or let me go and persuade or convince somebody that they need this. It's more like, no, look, there's an active project going on right now. So there's a, you know, an opportunity to bring our solution in uh, and stand it up side by side with other competitors and, and help these prospects make the best choice for their business. I think it's, it's really cool to see that evolve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I was on a call recently. We helped a team. We showed a team we're working with how they could narrow down a list of prospects within a company from 14,000 potential people that they could be potentially calling on to 14 or 16. I can't remember the exact numbers. Who cares? And uh, and then the the guy was like, so within that 16 though, how do I know exactly who it was and how do I know what his email address is? And I (laughs) jumped in and I was like, (laughs) are you kidding me? When I was back in my day, you know, like, (laughs) good God, man. Yeah, seriously. Oh man. Man. I kind of showed him him what's what real quick. I had to. You lectured him. I get it. No, that's yeah. hilarious. I was at least nice, I think. Yeah. So one of the things that you've always done, and and we've we've worked together for a long time, and and you know worked really closely together at different companies. But one of the things that I've always seen you do that I really, I think I've learned a lot from. I know I've learned a lot. I shouldn't say I think I I have learned a lot from your style, which is how you prospect and how you use creativity in your outreach. And also how you leverage like your business relationships to make a connection. Uh, Tell us a little bit about how you learned how to prospect. Like what, you know, was it a specific job or was it just all your jobs? Was there anything like, was there a light bulb that ever came on where you were like, oh, this is how I'm going to prospect. I'm going to be me. I'm going to be really creative. You had some really creative outbound campaigns that I've seen over the years. But, But yeah, like how do you learn something like that? Or did you learn it? Is it just like second nature, sixth sense for you? You just do it. No pun intended I, on the sixth sense. I have to say, I feel like with sixth sense, because I have this amazing advantage to having this tool, I am. I still try to be super creative, but I haven't gone as. I haven't done anything like outlandish here recently, um, on the prospecting front. I feel like that I've done in previous roles, but. Um, Really, the, the difference for me was a. I read, I can't remember which one it was, but it, it was a Jill Conrath book I read a few years She's ago. Awesome. That was like my first big, big kid selling. I read a ton of books and podcasts yeah. before, but I think it was the Jill Conrath that was, it might have been Snap Selling. What was the one that came before Snap Selling? Uh, selling to Big Companies, was that it? Or Snap? <sighs> They're all great. But yeah, she's really one good. of her earlier books that really turned the table for me and helped me to think differently. It really all comes down to being um, 
having empathy. Yeah. And approaching it from that perspective, really being passionate about solving a problem and identifying a problem that your prospects have before selling your crap. And no one had really educated me on that before. And that was a big, big changer change. It's not a word change for me. Nice. I remember I, you know, maybe this may not be relevant to the point you just made about speaking to pain, but you, you had, and I'm trying to remember all the details because it's been so many years now, but you had made a bet with, not that you like made a handshake bet or anything like that, but you basically told a prospect that if he responded or took a meeting with you or something like that, that you'd send him oh, a picture you of you. Oh, yeah. A bowl cut? Oh, was yeah. it a bowl cut or what? Like, I can't remember. This now. was like so the most wild. That deal did close too. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Tell us about that story. It was American, I, tr- it was American Eagle. That was That's right. We were at Smarter together. And um, it was so, it's like so silly. If you, anyway, this guy had lost a bet. I learned through someone I knew this guy had lost a bet at a conference and he changed his LinkedIn profile picture to a picture of his son. <laughs> and I, I had just gone through my family's storage unit and I found this humiliating picture. It's up on our wall now, believe it or not. Wait, in your um, house? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a pretty good photo. I'll send it. You can put it up on the podcast. I should. Yes, yeah, send materials it. page. And I sent this photo and I sent him a video of me saying, all right, you lost a bet. Here's a bet my boss made with me. If I can't get a meeting with you by next Friday, I have to change my LinkedIn profile picture to this. And I held the photo up. And (laughs) then it was kind of obnoxious looking back, but I sent him an email every day with the subject line, hashtag bowl cut countdown <laughs> and just oh, man. Beg, just begging him to take a meeting and on the last day he replied and did and it took a year but that deal did close um that is so that's awesome. the sort of stuff I have not been doing recently maybe I've just lost my mojo I don't know maybe I am doing it and I'm just not realizing it I you do probably I do, are I'm, I feel like my creativity, like instead of prospecting right now, I really put it all into the, I go a little over the top with the custom presentations. Well, that seems like the, that's the natural, I think that's like the natural progression of things. Cause I've, I'm in the same boat, like the, as I've gotten further along and the deal sizes that I am working on have gone up, it's less about like the cold prospecting for me because the, the real like the, the investment I think, so, so when I, when I think about like my pipeline and my deal cycles and where I can maximize my earnings is it's probably not, believe it or not, it's not as much in the cold prospecting. It's more in taking the few conversations I do have. Yeah. And like you said, killing the presentation, really working backwards to figure out what the end goal is. How do we get, you know, how do we present our solution in a way that showcases all those, all those problems it can solve for the customer. How do we highlight like the tech aspects of it in a way that seem, you know, simple to, to use, but of course powerful. So, so yeah, I, to your point, 
I think I have made more of an investment, especially lately in my presentation, the discovery and demo presentations and making those just incredibly like high wow factor versus Mm -hmm. spending a lot of like mental and creative energy on the next outbound campaign. And then I keep outbound campaigns right now pretty simple. Uh, what I'm doing, and I actually, I shouldn't even share this because if people are listening, they're going to steal, they're gonna steal <laughs> my idea. I don't even really do a, like a high number of cold emails anymore. What I do is I have sort of created a list of like the top 100 prospects that I'd love to get conversations with. So basically I have a book of accounts. I go through LinkedIn sales navigator and I save the, the stakeholders at each company that I think would be interested in what we have to sell. And so I save them in, in sales navigator, but then I go back and I actually send them an invite to connect on LinkedIn. And then I have like a little snippet set up so I can just type in like two keys and it populates my connect request in LinkedIn with like a little message that just says, uh, I'd like to join your network as a resource around messaging, digital messaging, which is what we sell. And if you ever, if there's anything I can help you with, let me know, I'd be glad to be a resource and that's it. And then I walk away. I don't do anything else. I just send the connect with that little note. I don't know how many people actually read the note. It doesn't matter. The key is like, I'm slowly but surely sort of building this like footprint in the industry and I'm not doing it in a salesy way. I'm legit. If there's something legitimately that we can help them with at no cost, like I, I would do it in a heartbeat. I've literally, I'm literally offering myself up as an expert in the space and I'm not asking for their time. I'm not asking for them to attend a demo. I'm not asking for them to attend a webinar. There's no ask. It's just, hey, I want to be a resource for you in your network around this you know, topic. And it might be relevant. It might not be. If it is, let me know. That's it. And so then I'll just wait and I'll follow people on LinkedIn. Like once we connect, you know, not everybody obviously accepts my connection, but the ones that do, uh, you know, sometimes I'll wait several weeks or several months and then I'll circle back and just say, we connected a while back. Uh, I had mentioned, I wanted to be a resource for you. Uh, I did want to ask if you'd be interested in an intro call. So you, so I could share more about what we do and you know, the response rate on that's pretty good. Uh, so that's really like the bulk of what I do for outbound prospecting. I have a couple of like sequence that I sequences that I do have built to just kind of keep the automation machine going. And then beyond that, um, the rest of my day gets eaten up with like existing customers and existing pipeline. And like you said, preparing killer demos and, and presentations and things like that. Okay. So what are your thoughts on video? That's a good question. And I've been asked that recently, actually, because we're looking at a couple of vendors that do video. I should probably be doing more of it. I've, you know, I remember we did bomb bomb back in the day and, and you were there and we, it didn't oh, work yeah. for me, but I also probably didn't put the effort into it that I should have. And that's happened like three or four times in the last five or six years in my career where we've rolled out some sort of video blitz campaign. And then I've done it a little bit, but then I get all, I don't know, I, I should probably be doing it more. Cause I actually think it would be really effective, especially with the prospects that I'm reaching out to now. Uh, because a lot of them want to see what we have to offer. So if I were to do a video, it'd probably be some kind of like a really light demo of what we can do. But are you guys using it or are you using it? I should ask. Some of our, so some of our BDRs, I think especially are crushing it with the video. And, and I would just say amaze me when they present what they're doing at all hands calls and stuff. I'm like, I'm not worthy. I, I'm just so chicken. I feel too <laughs> insecure. And yeah. I felt it to be effective for later in this cycle 
when someone asks a question, remind me how you compete with so-and-so around website personalization or can you, you know, then I'll, then I'll do, instead of asking for another 30 minute call and finding time on your schedule and all of that, I'll just make a quick little video and send it their way. But from the prospecting side, I've, I haven't hit the stride yet. Maybe that can be one of my goals for 2021. Yeah. It's one of my goals this year too, is, is like the last, you know, year. You only have so. like a month left, Jesse. Oh, so sorry. My, one of my, one of my 2021 goals is to okay. keep building more, well, we can, better pipeline. We can be accountability buddies there. I like that. So, we totally should. Okay. So, so yeah, so it sounds like you're, you know, you're focused a bit more on the demo and the, the managing, like the later part of the deal cycle, which again, I think is, especially as you start to get into selling larger deal size, you know, larger deal sizes, larger brands, more of the work really goes into, and, and I remember being young in my sales career and wondering like, what do those field sales guys do? The ones that are working with Macy's or I don't know, overstock.com or whoever else, right? I was like, what do they do all day? But I realize now that I'm in that seat where I'm working with some larger enterprises that it, it can really eat up like more than 40 hours a week just doing the prep prepping for the yeah. demos, the calls, like keeping in touch with all the stakeholders and doing separate calls. And where I'm at now, we we're in charge of still sort of maintaining the relationship after implementation. So I'm kind of floating around during the software implementation phase. And then as an ongoing resource, I'm there for expansion opportunities and things like that. It really is, it's fun and rewarding. And it is totally different than like the hunter, you know, quickly build a pipeline and close out as many deals as you can roll. It's a lot more strategic. And it sounds like you're, you're kind of in that same boat now too. Yeah, definitely. One of the things that I love staying on is to see my customers be successful later on. I think, I don't know comparatively, but I spend a lot of time, you know, I let our customer, we have an amazing customer success team. I let them do what they need to do, but, but the closer I stay, I feel like I'm just getting better and better on selling new deals. Yeah. And I just sourced another opportunity last week. I have a company we just started working with and they are using Sixth Sense. They use Sixth Sense. They did a call blitz. They got, Jesse, I'm, an, I'm yeah. not kidding. They got 52 meetings in one day. Holy cow. Between 30 BDRs. Damn. Using Sixth, using Sixth Sense. Wow. And they were like, I guess that's good. <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, God, I was chill. And so You're like, if I could slap <laughs> you through Zoom, I would right now. <laughs> yeah. So I called their CMO and I was like, hey man, and he was a tougher CMO to work with. He was very skeptical. He rolled out a lot of competing technology in the past and it wasn't successful. So I called him up and I was like, look, I've been trying to break into this company he used to work at. They haven't given me the time of day. Uh, could you put in a good word? And he wow. immediately replied and was like, yes, uh, yes, of course. You got a 52 meetings in one day. Please tell him I called. Tell him I told you to call. Tell him how much success we're seeing. And so by, but it, those are the sort of things I feel like you miss yeah. if, you aren't, if you aren't close to the prospect after implementation. Mm -hmm. Because the, our customer success team, they're phenomenal they're not stopping everything they do to 
make sure that that's a case study that's documented in our intranet, you know, it's right. You've got to have that. And so that collection of tribal knowledge is so important. And I feel like something you can only get if you're staying close to your customers. No, I think that's really important. That's a skill that I've learned a lot just recently. Like it wasn't something I was doing for a long time. Uh, but, but here I've gotten into a really good habit of like staying on, keeping in touch, checking in, digging, digging in as far as I can from a tech standpoint. That's where I do still struggle is we have a fairly technical product, like engineering technical. So when it gets to a certain point, I, I, they lose me just on the, the actual knowledge, but I do still, what I can, I focus on what I can control, which is, you know, ensuring that the business outcomes are there and ensuring that I'm following up and touching base every so often. And like you said, that it starts to like compound because then you have all these people that know you're, you're looking out for them. And then intros start happening to other prospects and expansion opportunities start to open up and it's just all around good stuff. Yep. Yeah. And it's fun. I know, I don't know if I believe the whole, you know, relationship selling isn't as effective as challenge or sale. Maybe I didn't read that book right, but I don't know. I feel like I also like my job a lot better and I'm a happier person when I have great relationships with my customers and great, you know, I, they're successful and that translates into me performing better, you know? So. Mm -hmm. So wait, I want to dig into that. You said, so you tend to lean more towards like relationship or more towards challenger? Well, I want to say I'm more challenger, Jesse. Everyone's read the book, but. So that's what I've found is no one, everyone's quote unquote read the book, but no one's really actually understood. <laughs> and this is something that uh, I've, you remember, you, you briefly met Zambito. He was like, everybody says they've read the challenger sale but nobody actually really understood what they were trying to say with that. And so everyone just takes that as like, you have liberty to be a total asshole to your prospect, not even an asshole, but just like to be really direct and blunt. And that was not really what the intention of the book was. It's funny. Cause I, I, I think I've found like, I'm not going to proclaim that I've found perfection because that's not the case. Uh, of course, I'm still a work in progress, but I've found with a lot of my customers, especially the ones that I have invested in the relationship, it's easier to challenge once you have a good relationship mm, because yeah. and it's, it's the reality is like the, if you start off just building the relationship, then it's like when you tell your friend, like, Hey, look, you got something in your teeth and it's not like a rude thing. You're just like, <laughs> Hey, I'm looking out for you, dude. I don't want you to like walk around with something in your teeth or dude, chicks don't like that or whatever it is. Like I shouldn't say chicks on the podcast. Um, but like, you know, you know, when you like give a friend feedback on something, Thing. Right, and you've been friends for so long that you've earned that credibility to right. just say, right. It's yes, so much easier exactly. to be like, yo, dude, you're scaring the ladies away because you are driving that car or whatever it is. And that's not a real situation. I'm just, I'm just ad-libbing here, but it's kind of the same with prospects where it's easier to get, yeah, it's easier to give that feedback when you have the relationship, it's easier to challenge them. But what I've seen a lot and what I've heard a lot is people will read the challenger sale, specifically managers. I'm going to pick on managers right now. They'll read it and then they'll hold some seminar eight hour thing or something at, at the next SKO. And they're like, everyone needs to be challenging their prospects more. The book says it, if we could just do more challenging, then we build more pipeline and we hit our numbers for once. And then everybody's like, well, I got to do something. So I'm going to go out and I'm just going to start 
you know, being mean to people or they're, you know, I'm just going <laughs> to on the first discovery call be like, well, are you, are you sure that that's the solution your business wants? Are you sure? <laughs> and that's not what it, like, that's not what challenging means. And I found it that like the, the, again, the prospects that I have right now and the customers I have right now, it's a lot easier to say like, I don't know if you're thinking about it the right way. Let me, let me tell you what I mean by that, you know, and that's a much easier way to challenge somebody is, Hey, let me step back for a minute. I want to make sure that you're thinking about we're, we're on the same page here and that we're both thinking about how to achieve the success you're trying to get in the same way. That's a challenge. Like I'm challenging, challenging them to rethink their, their mindset about a certain thing, whether it's a, a business objective they have or a technology requirement that they have or a need in, in the, you know, in the stack or whatever it is, it's just asking them to rethink how they're thinking about it, not mm -hmm. you know, doubting them or putting pressure on them to, to, to think about it the same way you are. It's about just calling into question, Hey, there might be more than one way to skin a cat. And I want to make sure you understand what our philosophy is for our solution. And I want to see if there's alignment. So that's, that's my thoughts on the challenger sale is everyone has, you know, quote unquote, read it, but do they actually understand what it means to challenge somebody? Likely not. It, a lot of people just take it as permission to, to be direct and, you know, try to get someone to try to force somebody to think in the way that they want them to think, which is not the right way to do it. So I say, you know, build the relationship first, and then you'll feel really good about saying, Hey, I want you to think about it this way. Cause I'm your advisor. I'm we're, we're peers. I'm trying to help you be successful. And I, I think based on my expertise and the work I've done with other customers that this might be the right way to think about it. And maybe you're not seeing it that way, but I want to, I just want to get your thoughts, you know? So anyway, <laughs> that's the challenger sale in, in, in my world. Yeah. I think we should rethink it is the net of that conversation. Yeah. Tell me about what a day looks like, like an average day looks like for you and where does, and you can feel free to plug Sixth Sense. Like where does Sixth Sense come in? Do you, are you every morning logging into Sixth Sense? Is it every day before you clock out or, you know, log out for the day, you check Sixth Sense? Is it only a couple times a week that you actually have to like walk us through? And then, you know, not just Sixth Sense, what other stuff are you doing during the week uh, to, to kind of manage your schedule and your time? Well. I wake up on a bed of, it's a teal bed. Is it a king with, size or a queen with, size? With six cents logos all over it. <laughs> <laughs> and then I make myself some coffee in a six cents mug. Um, no, I'm kidding. No, yes, king size all the way, Jesse. And got a present over here. For my listeners, I was just sharing with Lee before we, we started recording that I just got my first king size bed of my life and career moving on up in the world. I finally upgraded from a queen to a king. So that's, that's where that's coming from. Yeah. So yeah. What, walk me through a, a day, a day in the life. Oh man. I can tell you having six cents. I'm, I know I'm, I'm biased here, but having six cents versus not having six cents is my world is very different as a seller. Um, so I start my day usually looking at Slack. Um, and really, I mean, it depends on if I have a lot of meetings for the day. If I don't have a lot of meetings and it's just a regular day, I will start my day by looking at Slack or looking at my email to see which accounts um, 
recently spiked or moved into a later buying stage. So our technology, as you probably know, but just for background for the listeners, we predict which accounts or which companies are in market um, using machine learning and AI. Um, whether you've been talking to them or not, we're going to tell you which accounts we tell our customers which companies are most ripe for the pickings. So instead of, I used to have like, I think when I was before Sixth Sense, my job right before, I had 3,000 accounts to go after, which wow. was just batshit. And yeah. at Sixth Sense, I have around 60 accounts. And so on any given day, one of those accounts might be doing relevant research in our space. They might have been on our website, something to tip them over the edge to indicate that there's a real project and I yeah. should be prospecting. So that's the number one is I look and see, are there any accounts that really are showing an increase in engagement or any accounts that I'm already working that are showing an increase or decrease in engagement? And that's kind of where I start with my prospecting. Mm -hmm. um, I try to get in some sort of learning as well. So yeah, we, you know, we have our internal tools, but we have a lot of content that we're constantly churning out. Um, I mentioned that by staying in touch with, you know, what your customers are doing, then, you know, you'll be more effective in your role. So I try to listen to sales calls. We use Chorus. A little quick shout out to our friends over at Chorus. I've found that to be super helpful in um, helping me yeah. prep for calls. Think I'm always trying to think differently about how to approach a new meeting or a new problem that I might be having. So let's say I have a, a negotiate. Good example. I had a negotiations call today at two. So I went into Chorus and I found some really good examples of other pro of other colleagues of mine that I know and trust are really good at negotiating. And I wanted to hear the latest of kind of some of the tips and tricks you know that they might be using that I could bring into bring. If nothing else, bring that energy and that, you know, yeah. sensei spirit into my call and help me build that confidence. Um, That's and, awesome. You know, Jesse, then I usually eat lunch. Yeah. Today yeah. I had, I know you miss rotisserie chicken salad from HEB. Oh, had that for yeah. lunch today. Freaking the H best. And grandma's, the best hummus. and grandma's hummus. I had grandma's hummus and HEB rotisserie chicken salad oh, on Dave's killer bread. I know you miss both of those things so much. I do, I do have Dave's killer bread out here, but I don't have well, HEB. You don't have the grandma's or the, the HEB. Yeah. No, the grandma's no. I used to get that all the time. Grandma's hummus. Oh man, yeah. I miss HEB. That's like the one thing that some nights I lay awake and I'm like, how did I get away from <laughs> HEB? You're like, how can we make this work? Yeah. And how many more years am I going to be away from an HEB before I orbit back to, <laughs> to central Texas? <laughs> yeah. Um, I can tell you though, one thing that has made a huge impact on my day since coming over to Sixth Sense is different. Aside from having Sixth Sense to tell me which accounts to go after and which leads and contacts are actually worth working is, um, you know, we don't have a ton of internal meetings here. Oh, wow. We have, and I, I, I think some of my colleagues might disagree with me, but I don't know if they're, what they're smoking because I've had some I've, I've had jobs where I've had so many internal meetings, just nauseating. Um, and so I feel like with that freedom, I don't have, you know, I'm really able to do a, a lot more with my day than I used to. I try that, to take little walks throughout the day too. 
Yeah. Um, what were you going to say? No, that's, that's been a big theme where I'm at now is we have very minimal, it's, it's the bare minimum meetings that we have to have to keep the business operational and everybody on the same page. Most interaction takes place kind of through Slack and really quick huddles. But like, as far as like standing meetings and meetings to debate on this or that, and it's been so awesome for my productivity and for my mental health to just not mm-hmm. have to have that like consuming a significant part of my week. Cause that's one of the hardest things when you're trying to manage deal cycles, you're trying to build pipeline, you're trying to hit a number and then to have a bunch of internal meetings take up bandwidth and time. It's yeah, that's been a big theme here. And I think it's one of the reasons that over the last year, I've really, I've really done more than I thought I'd accomplish for sure. Like I'm, I'm getting more done than I used to get done. I think it's for that reason. Cause culturally we just aren't big on, on tons of meetings. We keep it down to the bare minimum. Whereas at previous companies that uh, I've been at <laughs> meetings for just a heavy lift, there was meetings every day, usually multiple times a day. And it just detracted from the actual performance side of things. I think that's huge. Yeah. Um, I hope I hope that was a good, you know, meat to, to chew on um, my day-to-day. I feel yeah. like no, even in this pandemic, I feel like no day-to-day is the same. Like, it's all different. It depends on how much crap you have going on, you know, that week and how many meetings you have to prep for. And, um, but yeah, usually, usually it's some mix of, of those things are shared. I not always get getting the rotisserie chicken salad though. That was kind of a special treat. Special, special treat. Well, I've got one more question for you and then we can, we can wrap, but I think this is a really important one. And you know, you're, you're someone that I know manages stress really well. Uh, and it's been a stressful year with the pandemic and just change all the time being home, not being able to travel, not being able to visit colleagues in person pretty much at all this year for most of us, just being at home all the time, not having somewhere to go. Like how have you, what are some of the tricks that you've deployed to manage the stress of this situation, but also sort of the, just the, the change, like constant change. What are some things that you do to stay resilient in your role? And this is, you know, God knows this is like a crazy industry to be in. If you don't like change, you probably shouldn't be in this industry. And if you're not comfortable with being uncomfortable, then you probably shouldn't work in this industry. But what are some, some tricks that you've put into place to, to help yourself stay motivated, resilient, all that good stuff? Hmm. I don't wouldn't know that I would say I, I've done an exceptionally good job at this. You're like, what do you um, mean, dude? I freak out all the my, time. If my boss listens to this, she's going to be like, uh, she's such a liar. Now, I, I would say, number one, I've, I've also had a tough year personally. I lost my, my father and my dog, which if anyone out there is a dog lover, you know that that's a, equally devastating. Um, and so I've had to really focus on what's important um, and eliminate friction wherever possible. For example, simple thing. This is something that I know is gonna sound simple to you as a man, Jesse, but I no longer wear pants that don't have pockets. (laughs) (laughs) Because 
I would get frustrated shuffling my phone and my AirPods and little things throughout the house and everything was always getting misplaced. Well, now that I have pockets at all times, I don't have to worry about that. And it does bring me great joy to have pockets. I just invested in a really nice chair. I had a really ugly chair up until this weekend. Um, I, I sometimes get up and get dressed and like all that nonsense take walk walk around the block, but I don't really know if it, I think it all really has to do with your mindset. Um, and they say no, they say not to watch TV in bed before you start your day. I did that before, <laughs> so I continue yeah. to do that. I'm not going to take things away that brought me happiness totally. before. Totally. Um, but um, yeah, I try to just um, have fun. I I try to have fun. That's like number one. Is, if you're not having fun, then like, what's the point? That's what I do too. I've actually started. So a bunch of things that I've been, I've done this year, I do try to get outside as much as possible and walk around or bike or whatever, and just get out into nature more often than I have in the past, which is great. Uh, and I think that's helped a lot. Just keep a clear head and usually really good ideas will come when I'm out walking around the block. And then the other thing that I've done is I've, I've slowly tried to incorporate jokes and things like that into my presentations. So when I am demoing or doing a discovery call or a negotiation call or whatever, like I try to break up some of the just tension. Cause I realize a lot of the people that I work with. So do you have like dad jokes that you bring up or is it? Some of them are dad jokes. Some of them are like techie jokes because I, I do work with a lot of technical folks and I've they know I, I'm not a developer or a, you know, IT person. So I can sometimes just, I can kind of be ironic about it, I guess. <laughs> like I'll say something that's, and I'm trying to think of a good example, but I'll make a joke about something in software, like something very technical in software, but I'll say it in a way that they're like, gosh, he doesn't know anything that he's talking about. So it's, <laughs> it's kind of ironic. Yeah. And I'm trying to think what else I've done, but yeah, I've, I've just sort of tried to incorporate in my talk, into my talk track, different pauses and stops that have little punchlines. And I realize a lot of the people that we work with, uh, as prospects don't like their only outlet to the world is these zoom calls. So if you can make zoom calls more entertaining, then you're going to stand out a lot more than someone else selling a similar product because they're going to remember the the rep that made them laugh or the rep that at least seemed really personable and poked. So I do a lot of self-deprecating stuff. That's, that's the theme. And I guess some of those could be dad jokes, uh, but it's, it's very, it's all very self-deprecating, um, but hopefully funny. And I, I get a good reaction. Usually I've, uh, you know, upgraded some of my audio equipment and things like that to make the the quality of my meetings every day as best. Oh, as, I like, saw you had a quality. little, uh, one of those fancy, when you were showing me the tour. Yeah. So you had it's, one of those uh, fancy it works really microphones. well. I've had, I've had a lot of compliments on doing zoom calls with it because it makes the sound come in more clear. Like the laptop speakers on a MacBook sound like you're yelling into a bucket. So if you're on eight hours of zoom calls or you know, maybe you're on six hours of zoom calls a day, how do I sound now? You sound pretty good. Cause you're using AirPods, right? Yeah. AirPods okay. are like the next best thing, but I have, I've been on some calls where someone's just shouting into their laptop speaker and it just sounds awful. And I've found that if you can just do these little things to not annoy people, so yeah, and then inv- just investing in myself has been a big theme this year, even despite everything going on, like just find whatever you can do to, to better yourself. Have you, been, have you been biking out there? 
Oh, tons. I, I go three times a week in the mornings. Okay. Uh, I'll send you a picture. So Nick, Nick just got a bike. So next time we're out there, um, maybe we can make a trip. And I, I go, maybe I, go, I can ride alongside you guys and you can watch me biff it and like skin my entire body on a cactus or something. Yeah, you got to be really careful. I, I literally go biking right by Fountain Hills. It's like my, McDowell, home, my like, yeah, the, yeah, the McDowell Mountains are an awesome place to Gorgeous. ride bikes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's one of the reasons I, I made the move was to have access to actual mountains. <laughs> so hey don't knock the hills they're still nice oh i miss the hills don't get me wrong um but yeah i mean it's fun to have mountains too